Scripture text today is from Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 36, reading from the NRSV. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man to him, that's Jesus, and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his home, saying, Do not even go in to the village. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them then, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Here ends the reading. God's word. We welcome you today on this first Sunday in June to Weston Park Baptist Church and we trust that uh, as we begin this month that we might be well aware of God's goodness to us and his love for us. Liturgically this is actually Pentecost Sunday, seven Sundays after Easter and it's a time to uh, welcome the Holy Spirit and to be aware of the Holy Spirit um, we are going to continue on in our study in the Gospel of Mark, but we come to a famous text where Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am, and then who do you say that I am? And that is a key question in terms of the identity of Christ. How do we perceive Jesus? How do we understand Jesus? Who is Jesus for us? And that looks forward to Pentecost and to the Spirit coming and energizing us, enlivening us for the purposes of God and his kingdom. So today is, a, is an important text as we look into the Gospel of Mark. So we're going to look at Mark 8, 22 to 36, and it's really three stories. The healing of the blind man, Peter's confession of Christ, 
and then a few comments on the nature of discipleship, but all three are, are linked together, so it's important for us to kind of make those connections. So who is Jesus for us? That's where we begin. So the text begins, they came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So the text begins with friends uh, bringing this individual, happens to be blind, to Christ, and they wish for Jesus to touch him and to restore his sight. So Jesus, being sensitive to the man, doesn't make a big scene in front of people. He takes the man aside and he begins to minister to him. And he begins by uh, touching him, um, telling him what he's going to do, the use of sp spittle, touch, talk. He's, he's explaining to this individual what is going to happen and what he's doing. So it reminds us of the previous story we looked at in Mark 7 of healing the deaf man, where Jesus also used a lot of gestures and touch to heal him. So these two stories, really, the deaf man and the blind man, are linked in the, the Gospel of Mark. And both remind us of that statement from Isaiah 35, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So Isaiah's prophecy, looking forward to this great work of God in his kingdom and Jesus' work as the Messiah, well, that speaks of these actual pieces. So it's interesting here, we have a, a healing, and the healing comes in two stages. And so Jesus touches him and then asks the question, do you see anything? And he responds and says, yes, I, I do see, but it's not clear. I see people looking like trees. So there's a partial healing. And then Jesus responds and touches him again. And then we are told in verse 25 that he sees everything clearly. So it's a... Miracle coming to the individual in two stages. And for Mark, the writer, this healing, this miracle is, is symbolic because it speaks of the man's physical sight, the first touch, but then it speaks of a spiritual sight, an inner perception, as the individual comes to full sight. So it's physical sight and spiritual sight. What is our perception of Jesus? How do we see Jesus? This is where Mark's going. And so this actual miracle in the two stages suggests what Mark is also saying at a deeper level. So for ourselves even, spiritual perception often does come over time. It often doesn't come just in one event. But we, 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 we grow in our understanding of Jesus, of who he is. And then ultimately, as Tilaki says, we get in the clear with God. 
We, we come into a clear dynamic and relationship with him, but that can take time. So we need to be patient, patient with ourselves, patient with others. It doesn't all happen at, at once. And that's, and that's the way it often is. So even parents with children, with teens, maybe wondering what's going on. Well, there, there can well be some sort of awareness of God that's going on, but it's, 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 it's growing. It's, it's not all there yet. And the individual needs to pass through whatever they're going to pass through until they come to clear sight. So we need to be patient, not judging one another, but be praying for one another, encouraging one another as we trust in God's work in that individual's life. So the healing then, this miracle comes in two stages. So that we, we want to be aware of. Second story. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? So we've heard that question before. Who do people say that I am? What, what label are people putting on me? So in our own culture, we, we tend to want to label people. You know, label people political. What political stripe do they have? Label people in terms of maybe their churches, their denominations, their view of God, their understanding of the atonement. I mean, it goes on and on and on. We like to put labels on people, put them in categories, make people fit somehow. And so even in Jesus' day, that was going on. And so when Jesus says, well, who do people say that I am? He's, ask, he's asking, well, what, what label? How, how are they labeling me? So the disciples respond with some answers. Well, some see you as John the Baptist. Some see you as Elijah. Some see you as one of the prophets. But as we've looked at the Gospel of Mark, we've also heard that the teachers of the law see Jesus as a sorcerer. Or in Nazareth, they saw him as the hometown boy. And the disciples are often seeing Jesus as a wonder worker. The demons recognize that Jesus is from heaven, if you like, or speaks the, the glory of God, the truth of the kingdom of God. So a variety of positions on how they saw Jesus in his day and how we see Jesus today. How do we label Christ? How do you label Christ? So that's where Jesus begins. Disciples answer, well, here some of the ways. And then Jesus follows it up and he personalizes it and he says, okay, but who do you say that I am? And this is the key question in the Gospel of Mark for us. Mark 1.1 begins by announcing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then the rest of the Gospel goes on to explain and show that. And, and here the question is, well, who do you say that I am? So if you've been following this series for a number of weeks, here we are in the, the seventh week, well, it's who do you say that I am? You've been hearing about Jesus, we've been reflecting on the Gospel of Mark. Well, who do you say that Christ is now? Jesus' Gospel of Mark is asking us that. And so then Peter speaks to the group and he says, well, you are the Christ, verse 29, which is you are the Messiah. The word Christ is the word Messiah. Christ is the Greek form. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one of God. Peter says that. You are the Christ. 
And it's interesting, when we look at the other Gospels, that Matthew writes of it, and he embellishes it a little bit. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. A little fuller text. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then it goes on to say, blessed are you, Simon, because you, you have come to this insight. And then Luke says, well, you are the Christ of God, the Christ of God, the Messiah of God. So that's how the gospel writers are presenting Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the son of the living God. Jesus is the Christ of God. So when we hear the word Jesus Christ, it's interesting in slang, right, and in swearing, often we hear the statement, Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. And when our culture uses it like that, it's almost like Christ is the surname of Jesus. Jesus is his name and Christ is his last name. That's, I think that's how a lot of people think about it. Jesus Christ, they have no idea what they're saying. To say Jesus Christ is to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. But when we hear it in stories or on Netflix, well, Jesus Christ is just a dramatic way of saying, well, what's going on here? Jesus Christ often. So how does our culture see Christ? Well, in many parts of our culture, Jesus Christ is no more than a swear word. <clears throat> but the gospel writers see that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Holy One, the Anointed One of God that makes a difference for humankind and for us 2,000 years later if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Well, interesting that Jesus then follows this correct answer from Peter, in Mark's mind, with the first of three passion narratives. In verse 21, 22 says, Jesus says, and he uses this phrase, the Son of Man, which is a reference to himself. The Son of Man must suffer, be killed, and rise on the third day. He's, Jesus is now trying to explain what Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah means. So this is the first of three passion narratives in the Gospel of Mark. The others are found in Mark 9 and the next one in Mark 10. Here, the Son of Man must suffer, be killed, and rise on the third day. Now it's interesting to note because here we go. Peter, who just said Jesus is the Christ, now strongly objects to Jesus and actually rebukes Jesus. He takes him aside and rebukes him, saying, no, 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 that can never happen of you. And so Peter here patronizes Jesus. Why? Because the understanding of the Christ was to be a conquering Messiah, a warrior Messiah. That, that was how the Jewish nation was looking forward to the Messiah in that day. So Peter recognizes that Jesus is the Christ, but he sees him and wants to see him as the warring warrior Messiah. But Jesus isn't that. And so Jesus now has to correct Peter and says, well, I am not that. 
I am the son of man who must suffer, die, and rise on the third day. So it's, it, you know, it, it comes in two stages here, and that's how come it follows this miracle. Peter gets it right off the top. You are the Christ. But he interprets Christ meaning the warrior Messiah. He has to come to the new fuller interpretation which means that Jesus is the suffering servant is the Messiah of God who identifies with the the suffering of humanity and walks in solidarity with all of us in our pain and in our grief and he enters into that he is the compassionate Christ to raise us up out of that and he does so by experiencing it himself so Jesus has to make it clear to Peter, no, you are not right here. You need to listen to what I'm saying. In fact, Jesus says very strongly, out of my sight, Satan, because you are thinking of the things of men and not the things of God. So Jesus speaks strongly to his friend Peter to clarify this reality. Now, just as an aside, it's interesting, because Peter is speaking from conviction, and he's saying to Jesus, hey, I see things clearly, and you don't, Jesus. You are the Messiah. But all this stuff about dying and rising, like, forget that. That's not right. And Peter is convinced that he's right. And Jesus has to say, guess what, Peter? You are not right. You think you're right, but you're not right. The Messiah is this, the Son of Man, and he explains it. Suffer, die, rise again. And so we can be very convinced in whatever we think, and you know what? We can be dead wrong. Even though we think so clearly about it and think we have it all, understanding it all, we can be wrong. And so Jesus has to correct his friend Peter on this. And, I, and, I, and we need to see that because Peter has to come to a fuller understanding, second stage, of what it means that Jesus is the Messiah. And of course that isn't fully clarified in his mind until after the resurrection. In a, in a, in a little bit they're going to experience the transfiguration. Well that, that helps to clarify a little bit. But ultimately, it's after the resurrection, and then ultimately, all the way to Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes and the new kingdom of God takes off in a dramatic way. So you see, it is this fuller understanding that Jesus is getting to. And that follows the two-stage miracle of the healing of the blind man. So how do we see Jesus? It's interesting in verse 33 when Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And in many ways, that is the nub of the Gospel of Mark. Do we see the things of humanity, or are we looking for the things of God? Setting our mind on divine things, not on human things. And so in our life, we, you know, in our lives together, we, we are encouraged to open up our eyes, to open up the eyes of our hearts so that we see more 
than just simply human culture and you know, our nine to five. Our, our eyes need to be open so that there's a deeper truth for us, a wider lens to see and be aware of the things of God and not just the things of men and women. So Jesus is making that point. We need to hear it too because often we are stuck in the very same spot. We are living, focusing only on the things of men and women. Only on getting ahead. Only on making more money. Only on our own comfort. Only on our own convenience. That fills up our whole life. And, and where are the things of God? So Jesus says that to Peter and Jesus says that to us. Mark says that to us too. So that's the second story and a few words on the third. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. So, you know, it's like Jesus is saying, okay, time out here, time out. Gathers his disciples together, the crowd around them, and, and then says, look, if you want to follow me, if you're thinking that I may well indeed be the Messiah, I want you to know right away that to follow me means this. You deny yourself, you take up your cross, you follow me. That is what it means to follow me. So discipleship is this way of the cross, which is my way. Now when he says that, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, this is not a way of self-hatred. This is not a way of rejecting yourself. It's not a way of putting yourself down. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. But it, it's a call to transcend yourself from your own ego and your grasping self, what you want in your flesh, what I always want, that grasping self, to enter into this new level of liberation in a way of love. And so when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, we are to love God, we are to love others, and we are to love the planet. So obviously that is what our world really needs, the way of love. Not grasping. Putin's in Russia right now, and what? He's grasping, he's grasping. He wants more land, more power. Wants what they've got. That's what I want, I want, I want, I want. And we can mirror the same thing. We want, we want, we want, we want. That's our grasping self. And we are invited to a way of love and liberation where I am not just concerned about myself but that I am concerned for others. To have compassion and kindness towards others. So the way of the Christian is following the way of Christ. And what is the way of Christ? Christ is the way of love. Imitate me. And as Jesus lived a compassionate life and a humble life and a way of love, that's what he's inviting us. Not a life of power over and force and aggression, but a way of actually wanting to make the world a better place. 
And we do that in demonstrating the love of Christ. So the three stories are linked. We close. The healing of the blind man in two stages, the revealing of Jesus in two stages, and linked to the way of Christ, which is the way of service and compassion for others. Jesus and the Gospel of Mark links these three ways. And of course, it's, it's moving beyond human autonomy. It's, it's recognizing God, my relationship with God, in this bigger story, and it's a paradox. Because it recognizes that the way of self-fulfillment is ultimately the way of self-denial. That I am fulfilled as I give myself away to others and not the other way. Grasping. So self-fulfillment is ultimately the way of self-denial. That's what the Gospel of Mark is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. The seed of our ego must die and be rebirthed in love. And that is the way of discipleship and that is the way of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the compassionate Christ who gives himself for us that we might have life, real Zoe life. So may we hear, may we recognize Jesus, who he is, and look to him and live for him. And as we do so, we live our best selves. In Jesus' name, amen.